Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Severus Snape, part six. May I have your attention, please? May I have your attention, please? Will the real weird sisters please stand up? We're gonna have a problem here. We're the weird sisters, we're the real weird sisters. All you other weird sisters are fine, but not the Vickers. Will the real weird sisters please stand up? Please stand up. Please stand up. Hi, and welcome to the Real Weird Sisters. I'm Alice. And I'm Martha. And today we're here to talk about Severus Snape in the sixth book. That's a lot of S's, Martha. Exactly. Severus Snape in the sixth book. Sectum Sempra, Severus Snape, sixth book. Yes. Sassaiasamente. <laughs> exactly. Very um, Slytherin-esque on this yes. podcast today. So exactly. we are going to talk about Snape in the sixth book, um, but I think we're probably only going to get through about half of Snape's arc in this book. This turned out to be one of the longer um, Snape plot lines. Yeah, not surprising. It's uh, certainly not surprising how much Snape scenes we had in the sixth book. <laughs> um, yeah, so we won't be uh, covering the entire arc just because we don't want to be rushed as we're trying to go through this. I think it was like uh, twice as many mentions in this book as there were in the other previous ones that we've done uh, character studies for Snape on. So just so that we're not feeling rushed and like we have to cram it all into a one week podcast, um, we're going to be stopping about halfway through the arc we're not exactly sure where that's going to stop today um but we'll we'll see where the night takes us <laughs> exactly um yeah there's quite a snape this is definitely his most interesting book in my opinion um would you agree um yeah i think that we really had a great discussion um not last week because last week was the real weird hunger games um quickly if you haven't checked that i'll make sure that you do but the previous snape character study that we had in the fifth book i think there was a lot of interesting stuff to talk about there but yeah i think this is where we really start to get more of a well-developed snape um and it's very interesting um from a you know somebody who's finished the series perspective knowing that this is like we're learning about snape but some of this is not really true information um and a lot of this is like the the front that he's Face, or that he's putting up to pretty much everybody except for Dumbledore is the only one who knows the real Snape. Um, so there's definitely a lot to talk about here. Um, even just from the very beginning, we have this whole like almost Snape perspective chapter. I mean, I guess it's more it's the omniscient narrator in Spinner's End. But um, we kind of are set up from the beginning of this book to see that there's going to be a lot of more like 3D Snape content, not just the 
um, annoying professor. Yeah, I think getting that Spinner's End chapter so early in the book, um, like you said, it kind of sets us up to realize that Snape's going to be really important in this book. And that, I don't know, it's interesting because it feels like we're getting the truth, like we're seeing the real Snape for once. But as we know, this is still not really who Snape is. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think it's that's what I was trying to say. Like, it's this one layer of the the character that he's playing for the Death Eaters and for everybody else, too, even. Um, but even that, it just does kind of set us up to think, like, okay, we're going to get to know Snape in a different way than we've known him in previous books. Yeah, exactly. Um, so let's talk about the Spinner's End chapter. Um, I don't – this is this is a little bit, like, of a tough one because it's, like, all about – I mean, Snape's in, like, the entire chapter, so I don't want to go – into too much detail here because otherwise it's going to basically be like a character like a chapter review of <laughs> right spinner's we, we, end all over again we've already done list, that you can listen to our book club um 6.2 spinner's end discussion to go through the details of the whole chapter right but um there's a couple of key elements just to kind of refresh everyone's memory as to what happens in spinner's end so first of all bella and sissy show up at his door um i love to call them that it cracks me up (laughs) right um but they show up at his door and he invites them inside and he's kind of acting like he's definitely like you said he's playing the character throughout here but he's he's very like chill when they get there he's just like Hello. yeah he's very he's Welcome. very cool calm and collected yeah and he's like uh take a seat has them sit in the sitting room um and just like kind of like everything he says is that kind of like lazy idle air that he always has when he's talking to people like just kind of like above it all um aloof i guess but yeah i did want to kind of talk about his house a little bit um we get a description of his sitting room um the walls are completely covered in books most of them bound in old black or brown leather a threadbare sofa, an old armchair, and a rickety table stood grouped together in a pool of dim light cast by a candle-filled lamp hung from the ceiling. The place had an air of neglect as though it was not usually inhabited. Um, so this is where he grew up, right? This is his childhood home? Um, I guess probably. I've never been totally certain about that, but um, I think so. And it, I mean, it, obviously also the air of neglect is just because he most of the time lives at Hogwarts. So you know, some of this stuff could be older, but also he's just not there very often. Yeah. Um, so I just double checked the on the wiki. It does say that this was his childhood home, too. And we also get that clue from when uh, Bella refers to it as a muggle dunghill. Um, so this is this is like in a muggle neighborhood because um, Snape's father was, uh, you know, muggle. Uh, right, that but... makes sense. And also we know Lily grew up near here as with a muggle family as well. Right, right. So... Um, yeah, I think it's fair to say that obviously he spends most of his time at Hogwarts, but I'm assuming also like whenever he's home, like he doesn't really spend a whole lot of time trying to make this place feel super home like because he it's kind of like serious living at Grimmauld Place. Yeah. What's with these people that like <laughs> right. don't ever just go buy? like, I guess the housing market is just not the I time guess- to buy teachers aren't as uh teachers are just as well paid or poorly paid in the wizarding world as they are in the muggle world yeah he's got about as much money to his name as the convict who just all broke out of azkaban (laughs) all he gets provided is room and board for the school year and then he's (laughs) supposed to go back to his parents home (laughs) honestly probably (laughs) that's why mcgonagall probably lives at hogwarts yeah it makes sense for snape he's kind of a frugal simple person as far as like 
I don't picture him wanting like a ton of creature comforts. He seems to be pretty content living like this. So yeah, well, the wiki agrees with you, Alice. It says it is likely that his salary as a professor and head of house enabled him to purchase another home, but he considered Hogwarts to be his true home, as did Voldemort and Harry Potter. Wow, the wiki is really making a lot of assumptions, as you know. Yeah. First of all, I don't know if head of house gets a stipend. (laughs) Well, they should. They should bargain for that if they haven't yet. Yeah, they need... Well, we know that they're not unionized, so... (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think that... um maybe it's fair to say maybe i mean i don't even know if snape really spends that much time at this house in the summers even like he probably spends a lot of time still living at hogwarts in the why summer. wouldn't i mean why wouldn't you i mean i guess i guess like for me i guess i wouldn't want to necessarily live at the school where i teach all the time but if that's where you like you have most of your stuff and if your cats a, are there it's a castle like it's it's pretty nice Right, food is provided uh, by house Way elves. better food than ever than I'd be preparing for myself. Or than Snape is preparing for himself. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I do think that Snape is probably spending more time at Spinner's End now that he's like having to have like a location that the Death Eaters can meet him at. Uh, but I kind of yeah. think that maybe before that, he wasn't really coming home that much. If he was entertaining guests, Bella, Bella and Sissy at Hogwarts. Right, I don't think so. But <laughs> yeah, what's pretty also goofy about this is that Wormtail is like has root has uh moved in as snape's roommate for the summer yeah um <laughs> that's very weird uh and it's interesting it's interesting because it's it's kind of unclear like why wormtail is there like is he it says he's there to assist snape um and according to wormtail that does not mean making drinks and serving him it means you know working on probably like dark magic together or something but um (laughs) that's if Wormtail really wants to be doing that (laughs) yeah but I I have to assume that like Voldemort also must have placed him there kind of to keep an eye on Snape but then also for Snape to keep an eye on him like I you know how Voldemort's mind works he's pretty like he's gonna have a lot of different reasons for doing something like this yeah i'm pretty sure we talked about this in our wormtail character study a few weeks ago or however long ago that was but i i'm pretty sure we kind of decided that it was like kind of a mutual benefit for voldemort of like kind of get get the annoying wormtail annoying simpering wormtail off your hands and also keep an eye on the the death eater who you don't quite trust yet um so kind of a you know pawning each other off on each other yeah exactly so that's right. I forgot we even covered Wormtail over Yeah. Like, this seems like a familiar conversation. I know. I was, but... As you were saying, so I was like, I really feel like we've had this conversation recently. But yeah, it was. Well, it must have been our Wormtail character study. Yeah. So anyway, Wormtail, Snape is definitely taking full advantage of having Wormtail there. He's like ordering him about and having him bring them drinks. And in the meantime, bring us some drinks. Some of the elf made wine will do. And then right. Wormtail just kind of realizes like... You might as well just cave and do it. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, as the wiki says, Peter's room of residence is hi- is behind the hidden door that leads to upstairs. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm glad the wiki knows the full layout of right. Spinner's there's, End. There's no citation for that one, so uh, I'm not really sure where they got it's that probably from. probably from the video game, honestly. Pro- probably, yeah. Um, but yeah, so then we launch into this whole interrogation of, of Bella on Snape. Um, and I do, I mean, like we said, we've talked about this at length in our Spinner's End character, or not character, chapter book club discussion. Um, but I do think this is such an interesting, um, like, 
twist because it's not actually the truth, but it feels like it's the truth when you're reading it the first time um, of like all the, all the holes are being filled of, of like why Snape has acted the way he's acted. Um, and you're like, oh my gosh, we now know that he really is, has been evil the whole time. Yeah. It's a really interesting like narrative device, I guess that's used here in this chapter. And I know we've talked about this a lot before, but I definitely remember the first time reading this thinking, oh my gosh, we finally are getting the truth. And I don't know why this feels more true than like other stories we've heard about Snape, but I guess just seeing Snape interacting with these Death Eaters and not having Dumbledore around to kind of remind us that we're supposed to trust him uh, definitely like leads us to believe that, you know, he's being honest with Bellatrix. And he's got a pretty airtight story here um, as far as like every question that she asks him he seems to have an answer ready to go that seems pretty plausible. Right. That's the thing is like, like you said, um, we already know he's supposed to be a double agent. So if Dumbledore were there or like if there was some sort of like context provided of like, oh, yeah, Snape is supposed to be telling the Death Eaters that they can trust him. We don't have any kind of reminder of that here, first of all, like you said. But then also it really does feel like the way he's telling the story, it's like, oh, my gosh, like he's really fooled everybody. Like he has the answers for everything. Like he fills in the blanks of all the like answering why he's done what he's done. And it just feels like, okay, this is the full truth. And now we know Um, he's like pulled the wool over Dumbledore's eyes. Right. Because I think we never get to see him talking to Dumbledore in the same way or like we never get right. answers it's always just like oh Dumbledore trusts him we never get to see him filling in every story um right answering um, every until, question until next book of course right but I mean up until this point we've never right, got, gotten exactly. to see that so it feels like now we're finally getting Snape's perspective on everything but yeah it's like I said he's got a pretty good story here and he does well in the face of her questioning um but Bellatrix Definitely, like I feel like Harry and Bellatrix are kind of the same (laughs) on opposite sides, like as far as their trusting of Snape, and like the this is the same number of questions that Harry would want to ask Snape if he could, um, just like the opposite. Yeah, Uh, my favorite moment in this um, exchange is when Bellatrix goes, "He'd have me, I who spent many years in Azkaban for him," and then Snape. Yes, indeed. Most admirable. Of course, you weren't a lot of use to him in prison, but the gesture was undoubtedly fine. <laughs> He's very, like, snarky with her. So I yes. I feel like that helps his case because he doesn't, like, go out of his way to be super nice. Like, he's, no. just, he's still being himself and he's still being kind of, like, cold toward her. Right. He's not at all intimidated by her and he's also not trying to, like, suck up to her at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's quite smooth um as we know he's silky smooth severus please don't say that again i don't like that (laughs) well we're trying to say as many s words as possible i thought um maybe not anymore (laughs) (laughs) so anyway um after bellatrix kind of finishes grilling him um and she gets it says she looks unhappy but she appears unsure about how best to attack Snape next so she's kind of like at a loss for how to continue um we transition into why Narcissa is there and what her whole concern is 
Right, and they're speaking very vaguely about it. Um, of course, Snape, Snape is also, as usual, very like careful about the way he says things. But I know he's so excited—not excited, but like he takes great pleasure in revealing that he's one of the few who knows the secret mission that Draco has. He's like, first of all, tells Narcissa, like, "Well, you should not speak of it. If the Dark Lord has <laughs> forbidden it, the his his word is law." And then he's like, "It so happens that I know of the plan." Like he's just so like. Uh, I don't know what exactly what the word is, but he's definitely relishing the drama of this. Yeah, and he really enjoys kind of like lording certain things over people. I mean, that's right. typical of Snape, but I like how it's like he lectures her and then he's like, well, you're in luck, though. I do know right. about it because I'm one of the few who the Dark Lord has told. Right. Um, Bellatrix is annoyed that he knows um, and she, yeah, she's like kind of shocked. Um, but then and she's like, you know, and Snape, certainly right <laughs> yeah um so then snape uh, obviously we know makes the, the unbreakable vow with narcissa um i do think it's kind of interesting i don't really know what snape expected from this uh interaction or from this visit from bella and sissy um whether he was um expecting that he'd have to do something like this or whether he's just kind of playing in the moment what do you think um i think that like, I can't remember for sure. We'll have to see in the seventh book when we go through his arc there. But I almost feel like he has a conversation with Dumbledore and where they say, like, do anything you need to to reassure them or something like that. Um, yeah, I think that he does say something about, like, they'll want my help. Like, he's kind of expecting it, but he doesn't say specifically, like, I'm expecting Bellatrix and Narcissa to come and visit me. You know, like, <laughs> I, I mean, you know, he can, he's a great uh, Ligil amends, obviously, so maybe he could have saw it coming in some way, but... I just kind of think it's almost uh, he's just saying yes to whatever they tell him. Uh, he's doing great uh, following the rules of improv here. Yeah, he would do well in Survivor. Like, do you want to make yeah. an alliance? Certainly. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he's he's definitely like following their lead as far as like making sure that they do feel reassured, even though he's still kind of being slightly withholding on certain things. So. Right. And when he decides that he will, or when he agrees to make the unbreakable bow, he does kind of hesitate. And I feel like it's Bellatrix's like skeptical reaction of like, she thinks that if he doesn't, that means that he definitely is not loyal. Like that's what causes him to end up doing it. Um, so I think that slight moment of hesitation kind of pushes him to decide that he's going to do it. Yeah. Um, I will say that one thing that's a little bit, scary from Snape's perspective is that it's not like it's not like he knows exactly what he's going to be vowing like, right they go into it he's like yes I will make the unbreakable vow and then like Narcissa gets to just like question him totally on the fly like she, he doesn't get to see the questions ahead of time um, to see if he's okay with agreeing yeah, can to these you, things. Can you say I won't in the vow? Like um, <laughs> I don't that know. That would be like the vow to not do that. Like I feel like that's the the uh, details of an unbreakable vow are not exactly worked out fully um, because it does. I know like you can't break the vow, but can you say no during the vow? Like while the bond is happening? Probably like that. I feel like that would make it so that the vow wouldn't work. Like, I don't think you'd be like, I don't know that that would be bound to not helping. Like, I well, think like if, would... she, if she said, will you carry out the deed that the dark Lord has ordered Draco to perform if it seems necessary? Like, could he say, I won't, and then that would, like, let him off the hook? Like, I feel like maybe then the unbreakable vow would just, like, be broken right then. Like, it wouldn't it wouldn't go through. That 
every part of it or the whole thing? I, I feel like or the, just that part. I feel like the whole thing. Like at that point, like the, it would just be done, and then they'd have to like start over. Um, but, but yeah, like Snape's not gonna obviously not gonna do that because he won't. well, right? <laughs> but so, but I want it. Like it's kind of crazy that he just like lets her launch into like these questions that he has to agree to with like I said without having known exactly what he was going to be promising yeah Um, but I guess I guess at this point he knows what he's going to have to do to Dumbledore so he kind of knows that he's willing he'll be willing to do whatever he can to help Draco yeah I mean like like you said good thing that he's already made that promise to Dumbledore I guess yeah good thing that that worked out because can you imagine like other way around this like he hasn't heard from Dumbledore and the fact that he's gonna have to kill Dumbledore yet like and then he's making like then I feel like he wouldn't be able to make this vow yeah I don't think so I mean when he does make the promise to Dumbledore he says like yeah I think that is his like Voldemort's ultimate plan yeah so he kind of maybe has it in the back of his mind but yeah good thing the timing worked out here (laughs) yeah so that's pretty much the end of the Spinner's End scene with Snape and we're not going to see Snape again for about a hundred or over a hundred pages um and we're going to see Snape right away when Harry gets to Hogwarts um after Harry gets his nose broken on the train by Malfoy and he's late coming into the school and he's arriving with with Tonks. Tonks sends her Patronus up to the school and Snape happens to be the one who um, intercepts her Patronus and comes down to pick up Harry at the gates. Um, terrible, terrible luck for Harry. <laughs> right, right. Um, Snape um, is like just, of course, relishing this opportunity <laughs> to take 50 points from Harry and uh, to comment on Tonks' new Patronus. And yeah, this chapter has always been like, for some reason, one of the more confusing chapter titles, kind of like seen it or seen it unforeseen, or sorry, not seen it unforeseen, the seer overheard. Um, the, the seeker overhead. Right. <laughs> no, but Snape, Snape Victorious is the name of this chapter. And I, feel like we figured this out or you told me on the book club like the reason this is chat this chapter is Snape victorious is because he's finally gotten his wish of being announced as defense yeah. against the dark arts teacher uh, but the scene that we don't actually really see Snape's reaction to being announced as uh, the new dark arts instructor like we see him more in this scene so I always was like confused <laughs> like he he was able to like be the the one who got Tonks's <laughs> message instead of Hagrid like he was victorious because yeah. he got to take 50 points from Harry yeah yeah exactly and I was like kind of a dumb chapter title. <laughs> yeah um I mean I feel like maybe the time I do definitely think the title is about him getting his new job but like he does have a pretty like great chapter for Snape you know like he gets he gets to enjoy taunting and mocking Harry and Tonks yeah and actually sorry he doesn't just take 50 he takes another 20 so 70 total it's 50 for being late 20 for wearing muggle clothes (laughs) (laughs) yeah um (laughs) Snape is definitely like and he's so rude he's like i suppose you wanted to make an entrance did you and with right. no flying car available you decided bursting into the great hall halfway through the feast ought, ought to create a dramatic effect. right as if that's what harry wanted to do he comes into the hall with a broken nose and like uh, blood all over himself yeah um as if yeah again like i don't know if snape really believes this like I'm always a little torn. Like, does he really believe this of Harry, or does he just say this to like annoy Harry? Right. Like he I think does that's... not. Either, if he if he ever says this and believes it, like he clearly does not know Harry at all. 
But I, think, I mean, yeah, that's it's true. like a false narrative that he's created for himself that he does believe in some ways. Yeah, like, that's where I think I'm question, he... I question that. I'm like, really, Snape? Are you that <laughs> dumb? Like, he really doesn't know Harry at all, if that's how he sees him. Um, and I think maybe deep down he knows that that's not what Harry's like. But I mean, I think that, like, we see that scene in The Prince's Tale where he's, like, complaining to Dumbledore about how Harry's just like his father. And Dumbledore's like, you see what you want to see. And he's like, others others report that the boy is very humble and sweet. Um, so I do think that Snape believes himself when he acts like that. I don't think anyone reported sweet. But that, was, that would have been if you were there to report on Harry. Well, whatever. They said humble. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, so Snape definitely enjoys walking Harry up to the castle. And like we said, he wasn't even the intended recipient of the Patronus. It was supposed to go to Hagrid and somehow Snape managed to swoop in and intercept the message. And then because mm. um, Hagrid was late for the start of term feast, just like Potter here. Yeah. Uh, but then like he's just he's just so rude, not only to Harry, but also to Tonks. Like he's commenting on how he doesn't like her new Patronus. And like he clearly has realized what the new Patronus is, I feel like. Right. Um, I like how it also mentions that Snape is swinging the lantern about. Um, so he's just being kind of like, just really enjoying himself in a rude way. <laughs> yeah, that's Snape for you. Yeah, so. exactly. Anyway, at the feast, uh, we get Dumbledore announcing that Snape is going to be taking over as Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. And this is the Snape victorious moment, very short lived. Um, but like you said, we don't really get Snape's reaction. We just mainly get Harry's reaction, which is him <laughs> shouting out no so loudly that heads are turning to face him. <laughs> he did not care. He was starting up at the or he was staring up at the staff table incensed. How could Snape be given the defense against the dark arts job after all this time? Always. Yeah. Um, after all this time. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he also then, like, puts it together in his mind. Like, well, there's one good thing. Snape will be gone by the end of the year. Um, and he says, because the job's jinxed. And so. Personally, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed for another death. <laughs> Hermione. Hermione's like, Harry. So she's shocked and rep reproachful. Right. Hedwig's not there to repro be reproachful. So somebody had to do it. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe Harry jinxed. Dumbledore he's said he's keeping his fingers crossed for another oh, death yeah. uh -oh. <laughs> that was maybe not it was kind of like the the bullet missed right I do like this line the whole hall had erupted in a buzz of conversation at the news that Snape had finally achieved his heart's desire do you really think that's what the buzz of conversation is about oh my gosh Snape has finally achieved his heart's desire well I like how it's like such a I feel like it's so typical that the students would have this like narrative of the, in their mind of like Snape really wants to be defense against the dark arts teacher and we know it's true but also like I feel like the students take that and run with it well I don't I think it's Harry takes that and runs with it and I don't think the rest of the students are actually even really talking about that they're probably like oh weird that Snape has switched subjects but I doubt that they're like oh, Snape has achieved his heart's desire <laughs> yeah nobody no other students care as much about Snape as Harry well a lot of them hate him they don't care about him as much though like you know they don't like him but yeah, they're not true. like obsessed with him yeah that's true um so Anyway, uh, the fact Harry really should be gr glad that Snape is going to be taking over Defense Against the Dark Arts because that turns out to be the reason why he's allowed to take potions. Um, Professor Snape had a very high standard and only allowed outstanding OWLs into his newt level classes, um, but Slughorn will allow Harry to take potions. So convenient yeah, that Harry's able to continue on his Auror track. 
also convenient that Harry um, was able to get an, an E on his OWL for potions because the essay question was about Polyjuice potion. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, we get pretty soon after this, we get Snape's first Defense Against the Dark Arts lesson. And a few things I wanted to comment on. Um, it's very funny to see the dec- decor options that Snape has opted for here. Um, they're kind of used in the lesson, so I'm not sure if they're always up. But when we first walk into the into the room, it says new pictures adorned the wall, many of them showing people who appeared to be in pain, sporting grisly injuries or strangely contorted body parts. <laughs> wow, what a nice room! Welcome, <laughs> welcome to class. <laughs> yes, and he's chosen the textbook called "Confronting the Faceless." Yeah, um, of course, Harry uh, is very biased against Snape throughout this whole lesson. Um, and then at the end of this, after they leave, like Hermione's like, well, actually, he reminded me quite a bit of you in this lesson, the way he was teaching. Yeah, um, I kind of don't really agree with that. Do you? I kind of do, actually. I feel like I have always read this like through the bias that Harry has. But like Snape's not being a really bad teacher in this scene, like unlike his approach to potions instruction, like... I mean, at first he kind of does this whole speech about uh, making fun of like the previous, like the not making fun, but you know, like saying like that they're they've had like a really um, rocky road up to this point. Like their last five years of defense against the dark arts have not really been very um, consistent. Um, so yeah, he starts talking about how the dark arts is just something that's like really. Um, hard to predict you can't really like have any kind of real control over it so your it says like your defenses have to be as flexible and inventive as the arts you seek to undo um and it just i mean i feel like you could just see the passion in, in his words that he's talking about like he really seems to understand what he's talking about pretty deeply um and i don't know i just feel like this is a better teaching approach than i've ever seen from snape Yeah, I guess you're right. Like, I always read it, like you said, I kind of have that bias of Harry's perspective because we see Harry, he says, it was surely one thing to respect the dark arts as a dangerous enemy, another to speak of them as Snape was doing with a loving caress in his voice. Right, I really don't think Snape is speaking with a loving caress in his voice. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, I don't know. So I guess I've always been a little bit biased because we've seen Harry's reaction here, but I think maybe you're right, like, especially when Snape talks about how his de- your defenses have to be like so flexible. And that does sound like Harry. Um, right. Seeing these pictures is very disturbing. Like we get to see them again. Um, it says these pictures give a fair representation of what happens to those who suffer. And then he shows the Cruciatus curse. It says a witch who was clearly shrieking in agony. Feel the Dementor's kiss. A wizard and a, a wizard lying huddled and blank-eyed, slumped against a wall, or provoke the aggression of the infurious, a bloody mass upon the ground. <laughs> yeah, great. Um, do you think that these are moving pictures? Because I feel like we've never seen non-moving pictures yeah, in the Wizarding Yeah, I think they world. are, because it says that, yeah, I guess I picture the shrieking in agony, uh, but at the same time, like, usually pictures, well, I guess, I guess photographs don't seem to talk, right? Only paintings? Right, right, so, like in the in the daily prophet the pictures don't talk i mean yeah. i guess they sort of do like in the movie in, but... in haggard's photo album right yeah they um... just dance instead <laughs> <laughs> they just dance at age 25 years over their true age 
in the right (laughs) (laughs) yeah no I do think they're moving do you yeah I assume they're moving too but I guess I just hadn't really thought about it before because I feel like the like wizard lying huddled and blank eyed and slept against the wall like that kind of seems like it wouldn't need to be moving and the same with the bloody mass on the ground (laughs) yeah super disturbing um i mean snape definitely yes maybe he does have a few things in common with harry in this but i also feel like he has put his own spin on this right (laughs) it's he's put his own touch on this lesson so their first lesson is going to be uh to work on nonverbal shield charms um and i like how it's like although snape did not know it harry had taught at least half the class everyone who had been a member of the da how to perform a shield charm the previous year. And it's yeah, like, but... okay, but they don't know how to do it non-verbally. So... <laughs> right, what it says. None of them had ever cast the charm without speaking, however. <laughs> yeah, so it's not really going to help them that much. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe Snape is expecting a little bit of a worse performance, like because he thinks they haven't probably learned a very good shield charm and now they're already having to do it like in a non-verbal manner. But... Yeah, that always cracked me up because it sounds so like smug and then it's like, okay, but it's actually not really that, not really exactly the same. Right. Um, So yeah, they're just all muttering them under their breath. Um, But yeah, it's like not a great uh, moment from Snape when he he doesn't doesn't acknowledge Hermione being able to do it. Uh, But I do think that this is a better teaching look for him than any other time. Yeah, especially when he goes up to to Ron. Pathetic Weasley. <laughs> uh, his his patience level with these kids is not very high. Right. <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree. Like, he's being a little bit more helpful than usual. Like, he does say, let me show you. Um, however, then he tries to, like, kind of attack Harry. <laughs> well, Harry kind of... <laughs> I don't know if he was going to actually attack harry uh harry like definitely assumes that and he just like says all thought of nonverbal spells forgotten he yelled <laughs> it cracks me up how he shouts out protego right. <laughs> and then sends snape off balance <laughs> yeah it, it cracks me up and then that of course annoys snape he's scowling right do you remember me telling you that we are practicing nonverbal spell spells potter and and then we get this great interaction, this pretty epic, epic, legendary interaction. Harry says, yes. Snape says, yes, sir. And then Harry, there's no need to call me sir, professor. Yeah, I like how Hermione gasps at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it says Ron, Dean and Seamus grinned appreciatively. Yeah, that, I mean, I don't care if he loses points for this because he got cool guy points with Dean and Seamus. That's yeah, all that matters. Exactly. Um, I'm surprised that Snape didn't take points. He just gave Harry detention. Right. Hermione, yeah. you really shouldn't have said it. What yeah, made Har- you? Harry, that was brilliant, Harry. Yeah. Yeah, was it? I don't know <laughs> if it was that brilliant. I mean, it's funny, but like, calm down, Harry. Or Ron. It, it was pretty funny, but it wasn't really like. I mean, Harry still needs to work on his timing. Like, this was clearly not the uh, yeah. not the moment. Right. So, but it is, it is pretty funny. Right. Yeah. Oh, I love how Her- Ron, Dean, and Seamus grinned. <laughs> they grinned appreciative. <laughs> they didn't just grin. They grinned appreciatively. Yeah. So, anyways, Snape gets Snape gives Harry this detention, and it ends up getting moved once for a lesson with Dumbledore that Harry has to go to, um, and then 
comes up again a little bit later because um, it's already been postponed once. And then Slughorn invites Harry to a slug club meeting. (laughs) (laughs) And Slughorn's like convinced that he'll be able to persuade Snape to move the detention. And Harry's just like, yeah, right. Like, that's not going to (laughs) work. Not going to work. Not going to work. Um, Yeah, and then Demelza... He says you're to come to his office at half past eight tonight to do your detention, uh, no matter how many party invitations you've received. <laughs> yeah. Demelza somehow gets, like, tasked with delivering this message from <laughs> Snape. <laughs> yeah, and he wanted you to know that you'll be sorting out rotten flobberworms from good ones to use in potions, and he says there's no need to bring protective gloves. It's so gross. I'm pretty sure I would try to bring protective gloves. Right. Like, could he still just bring them even though there was no need to bring Doesn't them? Doesn't sound like Snape would let him wear them. He'd be like, right. But no, also, get your hands not... in those flobberworms. <laughs> Snape is not a potions master anymore. Why does he get to do this kind of punishment? I don't know, because later he gives a punishment of clearing out the old discipline slips from Filch. So he, right. like... I guess now that he's the Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, he doesn't have as many, like, unsavory tasks to give out. So he's, like, (laughs) hoping to just, like, use other teachers to do that, I guess. Right. Yeah. The rotten flobberworm sounds (laughs) disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) How are the flobberworms? How are the flobberworms? Dead. 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 Too much lettuce. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I like how they're rotten versus good. So are these actually all, are they dead? Like they're just going to be used in potions or are I think they they're living? all, I think they're all dead to be yeah, used in potions. Too. Some of them, some of them can't be eaten or something, you know, yeah. like eaten, <laughs> well, consumed or used in a potion. Well, the potion gets consumed. Does it not? Well, do they always? How else do you consume a potion <laughs> besides eating it? I guess uh, intravenous potion. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're shooting up potions. Sorry. <laughs> well, I kind of like sometimes. I guess it's not always like for people, is it? Like sometimes you might give it to like Trevor an the Toad or like yeah, yeah. You yeah. might try to well, poison it's, Trevor. It's still being still being eaten regardless, right? Yeah, I guess that's true. Thinking about the fact that there might be slobber worms in it is gross. You've never thought about the fact that potions get eaten. No, all I, potions get eaten. Well, I I think first of all that the word would be that they were they are drunk. Like I don't think they're eaten. Like I don't think you okay, have to well, chew okay. them. Okay, okay. Well, they <laughs> go to your stomach. Yeah. Um, I guess I I guess not really because I don't know. Like I always think of it as like here. no. I mean it. I have, but like I don't know. It just. Wouldn't you sometimes you would dip something in a potion or something like well, that, maybe? Dip what in a potion? <laughs> I don't know, like your finger? Your hand or something, like if you're if you had like an injury. Yeah, okay, like I guess Mertlap essence. So yeah, that's exactly. Not really... Stuff like that. That's what I'm thinking of. Okay, I guess, but most of the time you drink it. So you have to drink flobber worms. That's disgusting. Yeah, you have to drink uh, alligator heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like the toenails of your enemy or whatever. Right. Well, yeah, essence of crab. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, It's that is gross. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, it is. <laughs> not much else to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so not much else to say about the detention either. It's kind of a gross one, but it's typical. Yeah, <laughs> yeah agreed. So... There's going to be kind of a gap now after this. We're not going to really see Snape a lot, but there's a couple mentions of him. Um, First of all, there's kind of an ironic, uh, especially if you've read it before, we've got some dramatic irony of when Harry first tries out um, Levacorpus on Ron. 
there's kind of this offhanded comment that the prince had proven a much more effective teacher than Snape so far. And of course, that's funny if you know that they're the same person. Oh, that is dramatic irony at its <laughs> finest. <laughs> well, it's not dramatic irony the first time you read it. True. But only on a reread, which is why we do exactly. what we do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, but I did kind of want to discuss that a little bit because why do you think, like, do you think it's just the fact that Harry has this, like, mental block against Snape and Snape has a mental block against Harry? Or do you think, like, that Snape has changed something about his teaching, like, it's just interesting to me that the that he was effective in what he would write down in his book but then like a lot of people don't really seem to learn very well from him yeah I mean I think it's a hundred percent the fact that uh the way it's delivered like Snape when he teaches Harry he's like talking down to him and being super rude and whereas the the intended audience of this of the prince's notes is literally just for himself like so he's just writing these things like I mean I think that if you could combine actually the face-to-face interactions with of a, a, a teacher like Lupin or somebody like with the advice that the prince is providing, maybe that would be the ultimate best teacher. But like, it's Harry's just reading methods rather than having a rude person breathing down his neck, and that's yeah. how Snape is with most of his students it's too. It's so. unfortunate because it shows us that Snape really did did have the potential to be a good teacher, but he's really thrown that away because he's such a bitter old Betty. I think he could have done really well as like a um, creator of online videos, you know, like yeah, rather than or maybe rather, like a curriculum designer. Yeah, yeah, one of those two. Like I'm trying to think of a more modern thing, like the I don't know, like but he couldn't do videos because that would go haywire at Hogwarts. Well, yes, of course, but you know, if he if it's just there's no actual student that he's <laughs> yeah. seeing while he's talking about his what to do like he could actually be a really effective teacher that way and that is a skill that not that many people have or it's not I mean some people have it but it's not a super um, universal skill to be able to teach without an audience yeah that's true and I think that you're right like I think Snape he has the knowledge and the passion he just does not like students and that is right that is a big roadblock for being able to teach successfully so he does not like kids no he hates them (laughs) especially certain ones but he doesn't like any of them no he doesn't even (laughs) like the ones he pretends to like (laughs) yeah he's awful okay all right well anyway I just wanted to talk about that one um fast forwarding just a little bit we do get a mention of him um surrounding the Katie Bell incident because in the moment um McGonagall actually like sends the necklace straight to Snape um and then after the fact we hear from Dumbledore that like Snape was able to help prevent the spread of the curse on Katie Bell um Harry why him not why not Madame Pomfrey <laughs> impertinent said Phineas Black <laughs> impertinent I would not have permitted a student to question the way Hogwarts operated in my day <laughs> yes thank you Phineas that's what Dumbledore says right yeah um so anyway it's just interesting that, that Snape is the go-to in this moment and then again, again Harry immediately like we said was not pleased by that <laughs> right and also I like how Harry's mad about it like this is after the fact and and Katie is fine right and Harry's like why him it's like well clearly he did what he was supposed to do in this moment right (laughs) I mean and she wasn't sick she was clearly cursed so that's why it's him not Madame Pomfrey yeah and and Dumbledore explains that Snape knows much more about the dark arts than Madame Pomfrey does so I mean Dumbledore is fairly patient about 
that this time. Um, he starts to get more annoyed with Harry a, a bit later on, but he's somewhat patient with Harry explaining why he was helping Katie. Right. So that's just kind of a little side note. The next big scene that we're going to see Snape in is at Slughorn's Christmas party. And there's some really funny parts. And then there's also some parts that are pretty interesting, I think. Um, so this this first part definitely cracked me up with Snape and Slughorn. Yes. <laughs> the Snape and Slughorn. Like, Slughorn is just... It cracks me up that Slughorn's in Slytherin. I feel like he he's one of the weird, like... Slytherin Hufflepuff mixes because he's so oblivious about certain things. (laughs) Like the way he talks to Snape here, like, first of all, he's just being like so jovial about everything. Uh, Talking to to Trelawney as well. And then, oh, Sybil, we all think our subject's most important. And then he, it says to Harry's horror, Slughorn threw an arm and seemed to scoop Snape out of thin (laughs) air. Stop skulking and come and join us, Severus. (laughs) Yeah, that always cracks me up how he scooped Snape out of thin air. Right. Now, to be fair, I mean, I don't know if Slughorn is always like this. He, it does seem like he's definitely under the influence here. It says his face is very red, his hat a little askew. He's um, hiccuping. He's hiccuping, yeah. But Which, um, to be fair, like, I hiccup all the time, and it's right. usually not alcohol-related. So Right, um, same. Yeah, so it, that always kind of bugs me because I'm like, that does not always mean that people were drinking, but in this but scene... But with the other, with the combination of the other symptoms here. That's, and, that's and the jovial, is, yeah. Right. He's being particularly friendly. Um, right. And yes, he, so he starts raving about how great Harry is at potions, and this immediately, like, sparks Snape's suspicions. Yeah, and Harry's he, like... Some credit must go to you, of course. You taught him for five years, and it's Snape. Funny, I never had the impression that I managed to teach Potter anything at all. <laughs> Slughorn, well, then it's natural ability. <laughs> um, and then he says that Harry did the best draft of living death that he's ever produced on the first attempt. Even you, I don't think even you, Severus, and then Snape, really? Yeah. <laughs> And then it says the last thing that Harry wanted was for Snape to start investigating the source of his newfound brilliance for potions. Yeah, I do think that uh, as much as Harry is like a little bit, I mean, more than a little bit biased against Snape, he does have a pretty good read on what Snape is and isn't going to like pick up on. Like, I do think it's pretty realistic for Harry to assume that Snape is now going to try to investigate this um, and be very suspicious about this. Uh, So unlike Snape, who doesn't really understand Harry's motivations at all, I do think Harry gets Snape a little bit more than we sometimes give him credit for. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think Snape's definitely got his interest peaked now. And um, I mean, it is incongruous with what he's seen from Harry in potions like and it's not that I mean it's also partly that Snape was so biased against Harry because Harry wasn't that bad at potions like clearly he was able to (laughs) he was able to you know get an an E yeah yeah, get an E on his OWL no thanks to Snape (laughs) yeah but like it is kind of out of character that Harry suddenly is like this potion savant right (laughs) no kidding (laughs) um but yeah so He's there. They end up getting distracted because Malfoy gate crashes the party. Um, and that's not, I guess we know that's not really what was happening, but that's his cover story. He was gate crashing. Um, and Slughorn's like, that's okay. You can stay, Draco. And he's being all nice and like trying to let him come to the party. And then what Harry ends up kind of fixating on is that, um, Snape is looking at Malfoy both angry and, was it possible, a little afraid? 
the way that that's uh, written cracks me yeah, up. Yeah, I don't think that that's possible. <laughs> I think more like, okay, maybe Snape is afraid for Malfoy. I don't think Snape is afraid of Malfoy, right? No, I think he, I think like you said, I think maybe he's got a, a bit of fear in his eyes, like just like Malfoy what are you doing like you're getting yourself into trouble yeah I think he's getting at this point Snape is getting pretty freaked out by how rash Malfoy has become like the whole Katie Bell thing um like we're gonna see in the conversation they're about to have and later on in the prince's tale like it sounds like he's like getting scared of how many innocent people are being put to risk by Malfoy's rash actions so maybe that's the scaredness of this but, yeah, and just like the fact that he's not quite sure what Malfoy's doing, or like right. he's probably concerned about the fact that he's not been able to control him more, like you said. Um, right. Yeah. So, but I love how it's Harry. And was it possible? A little afraid. Right. I like how Harry's clearly thinking like Malfoy is a Death Eater and Snape is afraid of him because he's right. a Death Eater. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. I don't think that's exactly what's going on here. Was it possible? Was it possible? A little afraid? No, it was not possible, Harry. (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, um, Snape says that he wants a word with Malfoy. um, And Slughorn tries to like get him off the hook. Now, Severus, it's Christmas. Don't be too hard. And Snape's like, I'm his head of house and I shall decide how hard or otherwise to be. Okay. (laughs) Like, oh, Severus, it's Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um. So Malfoy and Snape leave and Harry sneaks out after them to go try to eavesdrop. And um, he does end up finding them um, and he listens through the keyhole of the classroom door. I love, it always weirds me out when they listen through a keyhole. I'm like, is that a big enough hole to really like hear anything? But I guess in maybe, oh. I guess in like old doors, maybe they do have big keyholes. Clearly you've never listened to the keyhole before. Have you? I've tried because I used to always definitely like read about it in old books and think it sounded really like I guess like in an old the idea of it in an yeah. old castle or like in a lot of like European the keyhole, locks the keyhole usually is pretty big in that kind of place yeah so that makes a little more sense but it always cracks me up how it's at the keyhole I would to me on like an American style door I think that it would just be easier to just put your ear up against the door well yeah or to the bottom of the door yeah or slip an extended ear under it an extendable ear <laughs> oh yeah that's what i meant <laughs> an extended ear yeah whatever uh, slip an extended things. ear under it exactly <laughs> yeah so anyways harry starts listening at the door um and he hears this conversation between snape and draco and it sounds like this is one of the first times that snape's actually been able to corner draco and actually be able to talk to him about this right because i think kind of uh like Slughorn versus Snape, or Slughorn and Harry, uh, Snape or Draco's been trying to give Snape the slip all year. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Even Snape even says, is that why you've been avoiding me this term? You feared my interference. Um, So Snape clearly suspects Draco of the necklace and um, Draco is still denying it. Um, And so, so Snape, it's interesting because like, you would think that Snape would maybe, maybe have more information than he does but Malfoy is being pretty secretive and so he hasn't really been able to get a lot of information out of him right um yeah it's, Malfoy does specifically like name it and says that bell girl must have had an enemy no one knows about don't look at me like that um so and then he apparently Snape tries to use occlumency on her tries to use legitimacy on Malfoy but 
Um, ah, Aunt Bellatrix has been teaching you occlumency, I see. What thoughts are you trying to conceal from your master, Draco? <laughs> and of course, we, we do know that when he says your master, he means Draco's father, right? <laughs> um, yeah. That's, that's... Hermione's theory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Hermione. Uh, she loves to try to like play the devil's advocate with Harry in this situation. Right. I don't know. Maybe his father. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, Malfoy says, like, I'm not trying to conceal anything from him. I just don't want you butting in. Um, and I like, how, and then later I like how Malfoy's like, so put me in detention. Report me to Dumbledore. And then Snape, you know perfectly well that I do, do not wish to do either of those things. Okay, Snape, <laughs> put him in detention and then maybe you can corner him and talk to him more. Right. Wait, like why that. wouldn't he want to put him in detention? <laughs> yeah. You know perfectly well that I do not wish to do either of those things. Okay. Yeah. So anyways, then Snape tells Draco that he made the unbreakable vow with his mother. Um, and Draco's like, well, you'll have to break it then. <laughs> In other words, you'll have to die. Right. Yeah. Um, and he's, Snape really is just like pleading with Malfoy to give like so that he can give him assistance. And um, Crabbe and Goyle apparently are all that Malfoy needs. Um, so great. Right, but unfortunately, Snape keeps putting them in detention. <laughs> he, he does not wish to put Malfoy in detention, but he'll put Crabbe and Goyle. Right, well, they have to pass their defense against the Dark Arts, so it'll be well this time around. They're going to need to work a little harder than they are. Mm, I like how Harry gets to learn that the, that they didn't get to pass their OWL. Right, so there, I didn't even know that was an option. Like, apparently there's remedial defense against the Dark Arts now. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like it, but yeah, I didn't. Or are they just taking it with fifth years? It sounds like that they are doing fifth year defense against the dark arts. With fifth years or by themselves? I'm thinking with fifth years. Great. Um, <laughs> kind of reminds yeah. me of when like in freshman English, there's like that one senior in there. Right. But I didn't know they did that at Hogwarts. I didn't either. I, I guess, but that's what I'm assuming. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, yeah, I'm kind of wondering, like, you know, the vagueness of the Unbreakable Vow is just like, you will do all in your power to try to help Draco. Like, how can he really, like, prove that he's following his vow, you know? Yeah, I think there's, like, obviously there's the magical component. Like, it's almost like the magic would know if you're really fulfilling that or not. I guess yeah so I think like Snape is doing his part here he's doing all he can like Draco is not allowing him to do more so right. he's trying his best to help um he's really pleading with him and he's trying all the different methods to get through to him but it's not working right I guess that makes sense yeah um so anyway there's one interesting line toward the end of it when when uh Snape Malfoy says, I know what you're up to. You want to steal my glory. And then Snape says, you are speaking like a child. Um, so it's interesting that Malfoy, do you think Malfoy really believes that, that Snape is trying to steal his glory? Like, I guess the one thing getting Malfoy through this year is thinking like how much glory he's going to get when he. Yeah. Um, and I mean, this is probably something that Bellatrix has maybe fed to him a little bit of like, don't trust Snape. He just wants your glory. Um, it does kind of seem like words that maybe are coming from her yeah, rather than him. That does sound kind of like a Bellatrix thing. So that might, might make sense. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um, that's pretty much the end of the conversation. Um, and so then after that, we're going to get Harry breaking this conversation down with several different people. So the first people, 
the first person that he's going to talk about it with is Ron at the borough there at Christmas. Um, and Harry's, Harry tells him that they made the unbreakable vow and, and Ron's like in shock because he says like, are you sure that he's that unbreakable vow? He's like, nah, he can't have. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, he's like, well, you can't break an unbreakable vow. And Harry, I'd worked that much out for myself, funnily enough. What happens if you break it? And then Ron, right. you die, he said simply. Right. Yeah, I mean, I do think that Ron's interpretation of what an unbreakable vow is is not necessarily the full truth of it, now that I'm thinking about it. Like, I do think that uh, his interpretation is very, like, uh, based on the fear that he was uh, instilled in him when uh, Mr. Weasley saw Fred and George trying to get Ron to break, make an unbreakable vow when he was five. Um, which, like, I don't think it... Again, we've talked about this. I don't think that seven-year-old Fred and George really could have done a real unbreakable vow <laughs> yeah. at that age. But... but I think it's kind of one of those things where the parent, like, sure, has to, like, fly off the handle to, like, impose the seriousness of what this is. Like, sure, of course. Yeah, but no, I, th- I agree. I don't think that they would have been capable of doing that at that point in time. It's pretty right. advanced magic. And right. th- them having, like, zero training, I don't think that they could do it. Right. <laughs> and they didn't even have wands. <laughs> um, yeah, but I just think that, the like, Ron's interpretation of, like, no way that he made an unbreakable vow, like, I don't think it's quite to be taken to the bank here. Yeah, he definitely, like, seems to have really been impacted by the way that Miss- Mr. Weasley reacted and kind exactly. of, like, the lesson that he learned in that moment exactly yeah um so that's really all we get to hear from ron about it um but we're gonna see a conversation pretty soon after this with mr weasley and then lupin and this is the famous i neither like nor dislike severus (laughs) right then he's like no i mean it like he knows how ridiculous he sounds when he says that yeah um but this conversation with mr weasley like basically harry's gonna run into a lot of like but don't you think that it could have just been this, like, over and over again? Like, he's kind of being, like, I don't know if this is quite the right, right usage of the word, but I feel like he's kind of being gaslit by everybody of, like, no, it can't be that. You, It can't be what you think Right, well, even how, like, when Ron, Ron's reaction, he was really trying to help him. He was definitely trying to help him. Like, yeah, it's yes. like nobody believes Harry and what he witnessed. And, right. I mean, yes, Harry only heard it through the door he didn't get to see what they looked like in that moment but like he like his his um I mean what they said yes it was vague but it was pretty like clear-cut like to back up what Harry's been believing right exactly and he wasn't even really trying to accuse Snape here like like I mean yes he is like and like but the the whole um the whole proof of this that Harry's most fixed on is this proves that Malfoy is a Death Eater to him, or at least is up to something. And it's like... Nobody that, else, like, is with no, him Everybody all. else is like, well, of course Snape is really on our side. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, like, Harry's not... Harry doesn't believe Snape's on your side anymore, but the point of this is that he thinks that this proves that Malfoy's bad. Right, yeah, that's true. Um, And nobody really focuses on that at all. Right. <laughs> um, But yeah, so, like... The best is that Mr. Weasley, has it occurred to you, Harry, that Snape was simply pretending? Harry, pretending to offer to help so that he could find out what Malfoy's up to? Yeah, I thought you'd say that. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's super frustrating for Harry because, and that, not that anybody is, you know, trying to be annoying, but like, they're, and they're all trying to just kind of be rational, I guess. Um, but it just, it's not very helpful. <laughs> 
And then right. the best is Lupin. It isn't our business to know. It's Dumbledore's business. Dumbledore trusts Severus, and that ought to be good enough for all of us. Well, what about <laughs> Malfoy, though? <laughs> yeah, true. So, anyway, um, then Lupin gets into his I neither like nor dislike Severus, and then he talks about how he made the Wolfsbane potion, and we've talked about this a little bit, like... Does that really redeem Snape, or is Lupin being a little bit too, like, big of a person here? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think Harry's point to this is that he did also, he was the one that made it so that you had to leave, and Lupin, well, the news would have leaked out anyway. (laughs) Yeah, Lupin is super forgiving. I mean, we know that. The interesting thing is that at the end of this book, when we see um, the reaction, Lupin's reaction to hearing that, like, that Snape killed Dumbledore. Um, Harry tells like the reason that Snape, that Dumbledore trusted Snape and Lupin's like, and Dumbledore believed him. That's like, (laughs) right. So like that's, he does like a full 180 by the end of the book. But at this point in time, he's very like Zen about the whole thing. Right. (laughs) You are determined to hate him, Harry with a faint smile. And I understand. With James as your father, with Sirius as your godfather, you have inherited Lupin, an old prejudice. I feel like Lupin is almost like he gives the vibe of like somebody in um, like AA or like who's just entered therapy or like who's just so like. Yeah, very serenity prayer. Yes, like... exactly. Of like just like accepting or expecting everybody to just love each other and like find themselves and like, I don't know I mean it's great that he's so forgiving and it's not nothing against you know what those programs do for people of course uh, but I do feel like Lupin's a little bit deluded about his approach to everybody else in the world like well, the interesting thing too is that it's not gonna hold like I said like that this, too yes. this isn't a Lupin character study but like have we talked about all of Lupin's arc I guess we have right no. Oh, I thought we had. Have we? I don't. I don't remember. I but don't think we have. When we do, if or if we already did, <laughs> I don't. Let me check. But I don't think we have. Oh. Yeah, we've only done one character study on Lupin. Okay. All right. Well, that makes a bit more sense. So when we do talk about Lupin in this book, like I do think it will be interesting to see how he kind of like this comes kind of back to bite him later. Um, no pun intended. Uh, but he like. <laughs> I'm sorry, poor wording. Um, But he, like, he's in this, like, really zen headspace now. But then, like, at the end of this book, he totally turns. And the next book, obviously, we see him kind of, like, going to seed a little bit. Like, this is not sustainable for him. Like, he's not able to keep this up. Totally. Yeah. So, anyway, um, those are their reactions. Then we're going to see Hermione's reaction just a little bit later when they get back to Hogwarts. Um, Harry fills her in. And then, like you said, she's like, maybe his father... Yeah, that's who he's talking about. <laughs> His master, Lucius. Yeah. Um, so she's pretty, like, per- like skeptical of Harry's story and doesn't really, like, I don't know. She does seem, like, somewhat concerned, but then at the same time, she doesn't seem as concerned as Harry is. Right, exactly. And then the final reaction to this um, is going to be from Dumbledore, um, which is, when Harry goes to his office for another lesson and he tells Dumbledore about what he saw and, or what he heard. And Dumbledore, I I mean, again, this isn't a Dumbledore character study, but Dumbledore, I don't think really handles this very well because he gets pretty annoyed with Harry and he's just very dismissive of everything. It's like, 
Thank you for telling me this, Harry, but I suggest that you put it out of your mind. I do not think it is of great importance. Yeah, I think that the most important, like the worst fumble that Dumbledore makes here is saying that it's not of great importance. Like, I think what he should have said here, unless, I mean, we could try to figure out whether there was some sort of goal he had in making Harry mad at him, but I don't think he did. Like, what he should have said is this is a matter that I'm investigating and I don't want you to worry about it anymore. Like something yeah, exactly. like try to Rest shut assured, Harry down. Rest assured yeah. Harry that I appreciate you bringing this to me and I will, you know, make sure that everything is okay. Right. Like the part of just saying it's not of great importance and then saying like, uh, blessed as I am with extraordinary <laughs> brain power, I understood everything you told me. I think you might even consider the possibility that I understood more than you did. Um, but like, I just think that Mike he should have just... moment. Right. He just should have said, like, uh, this is not something that I want you to think about anymore, but don't worry. We've got our best people on it. You know, like something to put Harry's mind at ease and not... Well, even I the mean... second response that he says, like, let me reassure you, you have not told me anything that causes me disquiet. Like, that's a little better than, I do not think it is of great importance. Right, like, right. Like, the way I he mean, says it the second time is better, I agree. It's still not perfect, because like you said, I mean, to help Harry out and to help appease Harry, you should say, like... I'll look into it. Thank you. Right. But I mean, maybe, maybe he's saying, I guess the the devil's advocate here would say he needs Harry to believe that Snape took him by surprise by killing him. Like he needs Harry, he needs Harry to believe that Dumbledore fully trusts Snape to not be doing anything bad. And that when Snape murders him, it's a total shock to Dumbledore. Like he doesn't uh, want Harry to know about the plan. And so right. he wants to kind of keep playing this. Like he naive... wants Harry to, yeah, he wants Harry to be as mad as possible on his behalf at his death and his murder by Snape. So I guess that's the reason why he does this, but I just think it really does add, add a lot of flame to Harry's uh, fire here. Yeah. And then Harry's just like, so you definitely trust him. Uh, uh, like he says it in what he hoped was a polite calm voice <laughs> so you definitely still trust and then Dumbledore kind of gets <laughs> says I have been tolerant enough to answer that question already but he did not sound very tolerant anymore <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so anyway like I don't know I mean I don't know what Dumbledore besides what you said like I don't know what his goal was like I don't think he wants to make Harry mad at him and then also it's like thank you for confiding in me well he's not going to be likely to confide in you again if you just make (laughs) him feel dumb right true so whatever um this is not my favorite Dumbledore moment but I guess it all makes sense in the end yeah I think so too so all right well I think we're going to wrap up our Snape conversation for now this is about halfway through the book um and we've got um, still the whole Sectum Sempra and then obviously the events of the end of the book to talk through. So we will be doing that next week. Um, any final thoughts on this half of the book, Martha? Um, no, it's definitely going to get even darker as we go. So oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. Um, I think that we should wait. Do you think we should wait and rank him until next week? Or sorry, yes. rate him? Well, we definitely won't be ranking him yet. But yeah, rating him, I think, can wait till next week as well. Yeah, because otherwise, like, this is not his full arc in the fifth book yet, or in the sixth book yet. So right. we will be doing that next week. Just as a reminder, we did have our Real Weird Hunger Games last week, and that was super fun. Um, Shut Up Tin put in a lot of work, especially for somebody who's not an official sister of the show. I mean, exactly. Yeah, way to go. Um, and then we also had special guest Logan Be Adair um, on there as well. And we had a lot of fun. And it was 
definitely a very creative game. I was very impressed. Yes, super fun. Definitely check that out on our made feed. Um, and shout out to Tim and Logan for joining us and Tim for doing all that work. Yeah. And so then other than that, make sure that you're following us on all of our platforms. Um, our website is realweirdsisters.com. On Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash realweirdsisters. Twitter, for however much longer Twitter lasts, we're going to be at realweirdsister. Instagram, at realweirdsisterspod. And then, of course, if you want to support the show, the best way to do so is by pledging to support us on Patreon. Um, patreon.com slash real weird sisters um, you can see all of the different reward levels on there um, for just five dollars a month you can get access to a whole nother show um, and join our social media groups so um, please consider that if you haven't already of course um, the other way that you can always support us is to subscribe to our show so that you make sure you're getting all of our episodes and then to give us a nice five star rating and review on iTunes. Um, this week we have one from Canary Burke, or sorry, Canary Burke. <laughs> um, and this is called Great Podcast. And Canary says, I recently started listening to a podcast that has a similar format, and it's really neat to be able to listen to more than one person's perspective on the HP series. So thank you very much for that nice review. And um, we would love to read your review on the show. So please keep those reviews coming. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Cannery or Canary, however you say it. <laughs> I think I said Cannery because um, recently was looking at the book Cannery Row um, in oh, the library. Well, I've, I've been listening to the song Jackson Cannery by Benfolds 5 a lot recently, so I also had that word in my mind. <laughs> cannery on the brain. But yeah, no, yeah, I'm pretty sure this one is pronounced Canary based on I the spelling. So. Yes. So... All right. Well, we will be back next week to resume our Snape conversation. Um, and until then, we're the Real Weird Sisters. We're the Weird Sisters. We're the Real Weird Sisters. All you other Weird Sisters are fine, but not the Vickers. Will the Real Weird Sisters please stand up? Please stand up. Please stand up. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.